Well, good morning, Cornwall Church. It is good to see you. Good to have you here. Those of you in Skagit, so glad that you're with us today uh, with Pastor Brian. And uh, if you're new in Skagit, it is good to have you uh, with us. We're so excited about what's going on there. And we loved uh, Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian, for the new people there, Pastor Brian, why don't you stand up just so they can see you? Um, oh, you are standing. Never mind. My bad. Okay. Hey, it is, uh, it is good to have you uh, with us. And um, uh, those of you online, uh, we're glad that you've joined us with the live stream. And those at Boca Raton at the Trinity Church of God, it is good to have you with uh, with us as well. I'm very excited that you're here today, that you're joining with us uh, here or around uh, or online uh, because we have a very, very great opportunity this morning. We have a, a special speaker, special not just because she's not from Cornwall, but special to me because it's my sister. And I'm very excited. She's not a stranger to Cornwall. She's uh, spoken here before. Uh, Dr. Lori, uh, I call her sissy. Um, the doctor thinks a little too formal uh, for me. And I don't want her checking me for any ailments that I might have. But I wonder if uh, today you would give a huge, here and in Skagit and Boca online, would you give a huge Cornwall welcome to my sister, Lori? <laughs> Challenges, difficulties, and hardships are a part of life. Whether we bring them on ourselves or they're out of our control, whether it's the severity or suddenness of a challenge or a difficulty or the length of a hardship that impacts us the most, one thing is for certain. How we respond to it in the midst of it determines who we are and what we become once that challenge or that hardship or that difficulty passes. Often a challenge, difficulty, or hardship can bring fear, anxiety, or worry. This morning, I want us to look at how does Scripture instruct us when we go through those difficult things in life? What does it say about worry? What does it say about fear? What does it say about anxiety, especially to those of us who call ourselves Christ followers? Several years ago, I was on an airplane and I was sitting next to the window and there were two seats available next to me. So I just began to pray for whomever God would sit next to me. So I said, Lord, whoever sits on this row right next to me, I pray that you give me a winsome, creative, and compelling way to share your love with them and help them understand who you are and who we are as Christ followers. And so I prayed over those two seats, excited about whoever would sit there. Pretty soon I saw down the aisle this very astute businessman get on, every hair in place, had the briefcase, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, heading straight forward, and he stops at my row. He sits on the aisle seat, puts his bag over the overhead bin, and then he puts his briefcase underneath. We get up in the air. He opens up that briefcase, takes out his laptop, and furiously begins to type. So I looked at him, and I said, Hi, sir. My name is Lori. What is yours? And he continued to type. So I thought, he did not hear me. His ears are plugged. So I said, hi, sir, my name is Lori, what is yours? And without looking at me, he said, lady, I am too busy to talk to you. And I went, whoa, 
You must be really important. You can't even say hello to someone trying to greet you. Are you some head honcho somewhere? As he typed, he said, lady, I want you to know that the company that I work for now, before I got there, the morale was down, the sales were down, and they hired me, and almost overnight, the morale went up, the sales went up. I am extremely important. <laughs> and I said, wow, you have a pretty healthy self-image to go with that. He said, well, you have to have a healthy self-image to do what I do. He continued to type, and I continued to pray. And after a few moments, he took a deep breath and he goes, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so I knew he asked me out of polite obligation, so I thought I would answer him a little differently. I said, I party. <laughs> he said, no, lady, not what you do on the weekend. What do you do Monday through Friday? I said, I party. He said, you party Monday through Friday. I said, no, I party Monday through Sunday. He said, well, what does your boss say about that? I said, my boss invented the party. <laughs> he said, is your boss famous? I said, sir, <laughs> I could get up on this airplane, say his first name, and everyone will have heard of him. And I said, get this, every year at the same time as live stories on television. <laughs> he said, whoa, is your boss wealthy? And I went, whoo. He's wealthier than anyone you'll ever meet or exist. And get this, sir, all of it that he has is mine just for the asking. He said, whoa, lady, who are you? I said, pretty important, huh? <laughs> he said, well, what is his name? And I said, don't know that I can tell you his name. He said, lady, you just told me you party for a living. He's so famous you can say his first name. And he's wealthier than anyone I've ever met. I want to know what his name so I can cash in on this. What is his name? Don't you love it when they're begging for Jesus? <laughs> so I said, well, if you must know, you need to lean over the middle seat. So this very distinguished businessman leans across the middle seat. I lean across the middle seat and get nose to nose with him. And I said, sir, my boss's name is Jesus Christ. And without blinking, he said, you're the most peculiar woman I have ever met. <laughs> and I wanted him to know something that I want you to know, that God has made us a people of celebration. He has given us a distinctive of joy that is governed by his peace. We have been given permission to be people of celebration, those of us who follow God. In God's word, it says in Psalms 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 43, 4 says, Then will I go to the altar of God to God my joy and my delight. Psalms 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Isaiah 61, 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the heavenly host said, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Proverbs 15, 15 says, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 17, 22 says, the joyful heart is good medicine, but the broken spirit dries up the bones. And then Jesus was talking to his disciples, and this is what he said in John chapter 15, verse 11. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, be joyful always. Church is our distinctive. It's what God has given to us is our joy because joy in our life is evidence of God's presence in our life. And if we have joy, we are showing forth God's presence in our life. And we go through difficulties very differently than someone who does not know Jesus Christ because joy is the fruit of God's spirit. So if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, you don't have his spirit. If you don't have his spirit, you don't have the fruit of his spirit, which is joy. So in this culture, you and I who call on the name of Jesus Christ, we have a distinctive that is attractive to those who don't know Christ, and it's contagious to those who do. And that is the joy of the Lord that governs our lives. It is our distinctive. Oswald Chambers said this, joy is the nature of God in my blood. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Chuck Swindoll said, God is the happiest being in the universe. And Lewis Smead says, to miss out on joy is to miss out on your reason for existence. And Tony Campolo said, cold and dead saints who do not enjoy this life lead people to hell because people turn away from God when they see no joy in those who claim to walk with him. So if joy is our distinctive that God has given to us, why is there so much anxiety in the church? Why is there so much fear and worry among God's people? In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13, Paul addresses that issue. And if you have your Bibles or the Bibles on your device, if you would bring that out and look at Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4 through 13. Paul writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Then in verse 10, he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you had renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, for I can do everything through him who strengthens me. This passage of scripture was a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the people in Philippi. As he's writing this letter, he is in a prison in Rome awaiting a certain death. It's his second and last imprisonment right before he dies. And he's writing to the people in Philippi because they are going through trials. They're going through persecutions. They're having difficulties and challenges and hardships. And he's writing to them saying, don't forget your distinctive. 
Don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget that you have the joy of the Lord governing your heart and your mind. And do not let the things of this life rob you of worry. Let it not give you anxiety or fear. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them. And in this passage, three imperatives surface that if you and I will allow these imperatives from God's word to govern our thinking and our acting, you and I can go through the darkest night of our soul and have the joy of the Lord govern our hearts and our minds. And I want to give you these three imperatives. The first imperative is to practice the presence of God. Have you ever done that? Practice the presence of God. Become aware of God's presence and then lift up a word of praise. You can be at coffee with someone and as you're talking, you become aware, God, you are here. You are faithful. You are omniscient. You are everywhere present at once. You've never had a beginning or an end. You are faithful. Your mercies are new every morning. And you lift up this word of praise as you become aware of his presence. Because Paul says this in verse 7, rejoice in the Lord. Do not rejoice in your bank account. Do not rejoice in the house you live in. Do not rejoice in the spouse you're married to. Do not rejoice in the clothes you wear. Because all of those things somewhere along the line are going to disappoint. But rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So he's saying, be aware of his nearness and then rejoice in him. Worship him. It's amazing to me that God is majestic, yet somehow he's enriched by our praise. His love is complete, yet he wants us to acknowledge it. He is holy, yet he desires to commune with us. And praise is the one thing we do for God that he does not do for himself. So we can come for the adoration of God, practicing his presence and lifting up a word of praise. And Psalms 22.3 said that when we do that, when we lift up a word of praise, God inhabits that place. So you can be at the gym. You could be at work, you could be at coffee, you could be working out, you could be running, you could be climbing. When you become aware of his presence and you lift up a word of praise, his presence is there and he ignites in you the joy that is rightfully yours. But Paul knew that there's one thing that will rob a Christ follower of that joy that's rightfully theirs in Jesus Christ and that is worry. So he writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, practicing his presence, lift up a word of praise, lift up your concern. So he says, do not let worry rob you of the joy that is yours. Do you know that when you worry, you cannot worship? And when you worship, you cannot worry. You can't do both at the same time. It's impossible. When you worship God, you're focused on his person. You're focused on his character. You're focused on his power. And when you worship, it is literally impossible to worry. Can't do it. But when you and I worry, it is impossible to worship. And, and God said through Paul, he said, be anxious for nothing. 
But in every single thing that could threaten to undo you, you present that to me through prayer, praising me, through a petition, bring it specifically to me. Say, this is going to threaten the joy of, that you have in my life, Lord. And he said, and when you present it to me by praising me and petitioning me, then with thanksgiving, give that to me and this is what I will do. I am going to give you a peace, and he uses a word that means come alongside, to stand guard. He said, I'm going to give you a peace that will stand guard of your mind and stand guard of your emotions. And he said, I'm going to stand guard. And the peace that I will give you, if you will give me that which worries you, that which brings anxiety, that which brings fear, you give me that, I'm going to give you a peace that's so remarkable, it will completely transcend any human understanding. So when we choose worship, we have his peace. We have his joy. But what is the result of worry? Canker sores, ulcers, sleepless nights, and a boatload of medication. His peace, worship, or worry. And Paul says, practice the presence of God, choosing worship over worry. The second imperative that arises is in verse 8, Philippians 4, 8. And it says this, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think on those things. Fix your sights on those things, those things that are true, those things that are noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Fix your focus on that. Some of you say, well, Lori, I'm a realist. And I don't see life through rose-colored glasses. Remember who is writing this letter. It is Apostle Paul. He is in prison. He has been shipwrecked. He has been flogged. He has been spit, uh, he's stoned. He has been beaten. He's been out on the open sea, hanging on a plank for dear life. No one could be more realistic than Paul. But he says, I want you to focus your life on the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Because when you do that, your joy and your peace and your life will be governed by the Spirit of God that created you to be a person of celebration. He wasn't given us a system of thinking. He was given us a style of living. So when a thought comes to your mind and it knocks at the door of your mind and you say, yes, who's at the door of my mind? A thought. What kind of thought are you? I don't think they're treating you right. And you say to the thought before you let it in, what do you mean? Let me in and I'll tell you. I don't think they're doing you well at work. They abuse you at work. They use you at home. And they don't acknowledge you at home, at church. So you open the door of your mind. And you invite this toxic thought to come in and have a latte with you. And you say, tell me more. And this thought says, when you go to work, they abuse you. When you go home, they just use you. You're nothing but a taxi cab. And then you go to church and you do all this stuff and they don't even acknowledge you. And you listen to that toxic thought and you drink that latte with that thought and you become a grim face, clenched teeth, tight fisted. <laughs> and you have no joy. It steals your peace and you're tied up in knots. Well, church, I'm going to tell you something. 
The Word of God says the next time that thought comes knocking at your door, you say yes. It says, I'm a thought. What kind of a thought? Are you true? Are you noble? Are you right? Are you pure? Are you lovely? Are you excellent? Are you praiseworthy? Because if you're not, you open that door and poof, Philippian 4 ate it. <laughs> Just Philippian 4 ate it. That thought, boom, Philippian 4 ate you. That emotion that's toxic, boom, Philippian 4 ate it. Just Philippian 4 ate everything. Because if it's not true, noble, ripe, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, it's not getting in here. So you can Philippian 4 ate toxic thoughts, toxic emotions, and even toxic people. You can Philippians 4 8 them. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can find the positive in every situation. I have uh, just written a book called Climbing Companions, and it is a book that I give a scriptural strategy on how to take the high road at every turn and how to go through this life with its challenges, difficulties and using principles to guide us in a way that we will not lose our joy, but we can take that high road. 10 principles are given from the Beatitudes on how to have a divine perspective, regardless of what this life comes and brings to you. It has a corresponding Bible study as well. And I would love it if each one of you would purchase one of those. I would love to sign it. I would love to hug your neck because those resources help us reach people all across this country in our public schools through Teach One to Lead One. There's a third imperative we see in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly at last that you, at least you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And he talks about being in need and having plenty. And the imperative is this, embrace difficulty with humility. Embrace difficulty with humility because when we embrace a difficulty with humility, we are saying with our life, I am trusting in God's person, his power, and his presence because he is my anchored assurance that God is in control. I have a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to work out okay. And then I have made a decided choice to praise God in all things. So when you and I embrace a difficult situation with humility, we are acknowledging that God is in control and that we trust him with the details of our life. Because Paul said, I have learned to be content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in one, for I can do everything through him who strengthens me. That word content in the original language is atarkis. It sounds like akarkis, but it's atarkis. It means divinely bestowed sufficiency that is independent of external circumstances. It is an abiding presence in the midst. So he said, I have learned to atarkis. I have this divinely bestowed sufficiency, this abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless and independent of any circumstances in my life. And when you and I do that, there is nothing, regardless of how debilitating or horrific anything comes to us, we have the abiding presence of Jesus Christ as our anchor. We have a confidence 
and we have a decided choice that I can be well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, Paul says, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, wisdom is the acquired skill of living life well. Living against the grindstone and coming away polished instead of chewed up. Did you know that every single human being in this room is living against the grindstone? I don't care what you look like, where you live, who your mom is, who your dad is, where you work, what your budget looks like, how much money you have, how much money you don't have, but every single one of us in this room live against this grindstone, and you and I will either come away polished, reflecting the beauty of the Lord, or chewed up, angry, bitter, resentful, disillusioned, depressed, discouraged, grim-faced, clenched teeth, tight-fisted, because this life and this grinding of this life, you and I have a choice. And when Jesus Christ came into your heart and he saved you of your sin, he said, this life, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, be of joy because of who you are in me. I will give you a joy, I will give you a peace, I will be your anchor, I will be your person, I will be your power, I will be your presence. Nothing in this life will I allow to bring you down. So when you're against that grindstone, choose to practice my presence and worship, not worry. Choose to focus on the positive and Philippians 4, 8, everything, and choose to embrace difficulty with humility so that you can reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in your life regardless of what happens. Because true wisdom is to live against that grindstone and come away polished. We might be bruised, we might be scarred, we might have tears and sweat and blood all over us, but my goodness, I am not gonna let this life, I am not gonna let the enemy chew me up because we have Jesus Christ within us. Many years ago, I was on a committee. It was a missionary board of about 30 of us, and we were dealing with global missions all over the world. And in one of our missionary meetings, the chairman of the board brought in a testimony of a pastor and his nine-year-old son, and they were from Pakistan. And the pastor, the father, did not know English, so they had an interpreter that was sharing the testimony, and the nine-year-old son, his younger son, was there. And the Pakistanian pastor said, in my country, it is against the law to say the name of Jesus. In my country, it is against the law to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In my country, it's against the law to talk about his death and his resurrection in my country. It is against the law to bring people to Jesus Christ. But I am a pastor, and I have been called by God. And so I speak his name. I share the gospel. I share it with people. And I have been beaten. I have been pulverized. I have been persecuted over and over again. But I do not stop. I keep saying the good news of Jesus. He said, but one Saturday, my wife and my other children left 
to go do errands. And my son that was nine years old was left home with me. He said it was about mid-morning and we heard this on the door. He said, so I opened the door and there are the city officials. And they said, we have come to tell you to stop speaking your message. You are to recant. You are to deny your God. You are to stop trying to proselyte people and bring them to your faith. You must shut your mouth. You must stop or we will beat you. We'll pulverize you. We'll persecute you. And that pastor said, I looked at those city officials and said, you've already done that to me. You have put me in jail. You have beaten me. You have pulverized me. But I will not stop. God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him could have eternal life and you can have him too. They said, don't say that message to us. You are to deny your God. You are to quit preaching your message or we will beat you. This day we will beat you. He said, I will not stop. You can do whatever you want with me. He said, those city officials grabbed me and pulled me to the field next to my house that had a concrete slab. And they put me there. And he said, as I stood, they grabbed my ankles. They grabbed my wrist. And he said, I knew they were going to hit me and beat me with rods and spit on me. And he said, so I closed my eyes and I prayed, Jesus, don't let me weaken under the blows. Do not let me go unfaithful. Lord, keep my tongue from denying you. Keep me strong, Jesus. I need you when they hit me, when they hurt me. He said, as I'm praying, with my eyes closed, I heard the cry of my nine-year-old son. He said, I opened my eyes and they had my son by his hair and his head. And the pastor said, not my son, not my son. You said you would beat me, beat me, but not my son, not my son. The city official said, deny your God. Shut your mouth. Stop your message. Quit what you're doing for your God, for your Jesus, or we will kill your son in front of your face. Stop, recant, deny. Turn away from your God and stop talking about him, or we kill him in front of your face. Pastor said, for the very first time in my ministry, I considered a quieter approach to the gospel. And he said, as I looked at my son, he said, my nine-year-old son said, Papa, 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 don't do it. Don't do it, Papa. It's Jesus. Papa, it's Jesus. Don't deny the Lord. Don't deny him, Papa. Don't do it. Papa. He gave his life for me. Let me give my life for him. Papa, don't do it. Papa, it's Jesus. Don't do it. The son, 
he finished those words. The pastor said, I looked at my son, back up to the city official, and back down to my son. And he said, I took my hand from their grip, and I lifted up my hand. And he said, I will never stop preaching the message of Jesus Christ. I will not recant. <laughs> I will not deny. I will keep preaching Jesus as long as I have air in my lungs. He said, I love you, son. But I, he said to the officials, will not stop. And that official took his son, and with all the power that he had, he took his son's head and boom on that concrete slab. Boom a second time. Boom and dropped the boy for dead. And the city official said, this is your doing. This is your fault. You did not deny your God, so you killed your son. This is your fault. This is your doing. And he said, they let go of my ankles. They let go, and they walked away. He said, I went and I picked up the broken body and face of my son. He said it was disfigured, eyes swollen, bones broken, lips split, blood everywhere, thinking him to be dead. He said, as I held him to me, he said, I cried out, why my son? Why my son? Why my son? Why my son? And he said, as I cried out, I felt movement in my arms. So he said, I looked down and said, son, are you alive? Are you alive? And he said the mouth of his son was ever so slightly moving. So he said, I put my ear next to his mouth, and this is what my nine-year-old son said. Papa, Papa, we didn't deny the Lord. We didn't deny him. And the pastor said to his son, no, son, we didn't deny the Lord. Whether the little boy knew it or not, he had practiced the presence of God in that moment and chose to let his life be worshiped rather than to be consumed with fear and worry. He had focused on Jesus, and he had braced a very difficult moment Trust in the sovereignty of God. And when the testimony was over, I raised my hand. I said, I have a question for your son. And the little boy said, I know English, so you don't need to use the interpreter. What is your question for me? How did you do that? How did you do that? Um, 
He said it, well, like when the city official went like this to my head and he had my head in his hand, you know what he said? It was so funny. I said, something was funny? <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm going to kill you. But I had already died to Christ. He couldn't kill me. I already died. And so in my head, I said, Jesus, he thinks he's going to kill me, but I already died to you. He cannot kill me. But to answer your question, when he grabbed me by the head, I just kept looking and looking and looking and looking at Jesus. And that's how you do it. Cornwall Church, not if, but when this life grabs you, practice the presence of God and choose worry, choose worship over worry. And when this life bashes you down, Focus on the positive. And Philippians 4, 8, every thought, every emotion, every person. And when this life, bam, threatens to undo you, embrace that difficulty as hard and as excruciating as it is with humility because you know that your God is in control. And it is to his glory that we live. And when you and I do that, we can become a crescendo of praise unto God. Just like the nine-year-old boy, his life was a crescendo of praise unto God. You can be a crescendo of praise unto God. Your testimony can be a crescendo of praise unto the Lord. Your life can be a crescendo of praise unto the Lord. Just like Psalms 148 and 150 is a crescendo of praise unto God when it says, praise the Lord, praise God in the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him all you angels, praise him all you heavenly hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for the name of God is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn. The praise of all his saints, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Cornwall Church, let everything that hath breath 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For that is how a Christ follower navigates the difficult and harsh treatment and challenges of this life as a God-kept wonder. Amen.